Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Okay, we are bringing you today a really great conversation with Tanya Holland, who is a chef, author, restaurateur, all-around businesswoman, and uh, most recently has a show coming up on OWN. And uh, so that's just, you know, one step closer to Oprah, right? Yes, that's right, Ange. We're one step away from Oprah. I can feel it. And uh, (laughs) Tanya's show on OWN called Tanya's Kitchen Table is going to air on November 14th at 1.30 p.m. So um, please check that out. And um, one other thing, Tanya is going to be on uh, the New York Times on Tuesday uh, doing a live kitchen demo for uh, Thanksgiving during a pandemic. So um, she, she just, I'm excited for her, she's even though so many hats. it's a weird time, but she's kicking ass. She, Yeah, she really yep. is just doing everything. Yeah. I mean, they always say, you know, pick the one thing that you love and excel at that. But she's really managed to just throw her hat in every aspect of art, cooking, writing, host. It's just really inspirational. And she she's definitely a force, a force to be reckoned with. She's doing it. So enjoy our interview with Tanya Holland and we'll see you on the other side. I'm just going to start this off. We have Tanya Holland on the show who, in my uh, humble opinion, is really already a legend in the culinary industry. She's a cookbook author. She has her restaurant, Brown Sugar Kitchen. Um, and now she's a podcaster, just like us. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Tanya Holland. Thank yeah. you. Great to be here. How Thank are you? you? I'm doing fine. You know, considering all that's going on, um, can't really complain. Yeah. Yeah, true. We're still here. Yes. So um, what we like to do with guests who have not been on the show before is really to start with their origin story. So if, if you would, um, could you let our guests know a little bit about you and where you're from? Sure. Um, I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. My dad was in college in that area in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. And then uh, he got a job with Eastman Kodak. So we moved to Rochester when I was two. That's where I grew up. Um, I went to college at University of Virginia and graduated with a degree in Russian language and literature. Uh, of course, that was very practical. <laughs> it seems like a natural progression, really. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, um, I worked in advertising for a little bit um, oh. in Rochester for a year, selling uh, classified advertising. Then I moved to New York City and I worked for an ad firm all the time, um, starting from my second year of college, um, working in restaurants, waiting tables, front of the house. When I moved to New York City in the late 80s, um, I was lucky enough to work for, you know, some good people you may have heard of. Um, my, one of my managers was Andrew Zimmern. Uh, mm, and yeah. we were mm. at a restaurant called Raquel, uh, Cafe Raquel. Ra was for Raul and the Kel was for Keller, uh, Thomas Keller. Oh. And um, mm. 
And then I worked at Mesa Grill with Bobby Flay. And this was all in front of the house. And then I decided to go to cooking school in France um, then. And I did that. And then I came back and I worked in kitchens in um, New York and Boston and Martha's Vineyard before moving to uh, the Bay Area in 2001. So I've been here almost 19 years. And I opened my restaurant, Brown Turn Kitchen, in 2008 in West Oakland. And we moved it to Broadway uh, and Grand in the beginning of 2019. Yeah. And uh, we've done a lot of other things in the meantime. Uh, like you said, I've written a couple cookbooks and uh, I had a show on the Food Network. I was on Top, she uh, Top Chef season 15 and uh, launched Tanya's Table podcast earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah. <laughs> You're not busy. <laughs> um, if, if you don't mind, if we can kind of jump back uh, to your childhood and, and growing up, I, I did read, I mean, it's on, you know, Wikipedia, but I thought it was interesting that um, your interest in food um, sort of stemmed from your parents. They founded a gourmet cooking and eating club when you were a kid. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and it was pretty unusual for the time and definitely for our area. Like, none of my other friends' parents were doing that. Um, and they cooked soup to nuts, uh, food from around the world, plus regional American cuisine. And a lot of these dishes ended up in, uh, you know, our regular eating repertoire. So I grew up eating, you know, food like, you know, of course, the usual European suspects, Italian, Spanish, and French, but also... Um, you know, German potato salad and that's um, mm. you know, all soup. And we had a Polynesian luau and they did, um, you know, an Alsatian rind dinner and just like a Caribbean food. They had, you know, they just really experimented and it was a pretty diverse group. And so I was just, yeah, raised to be open and I got to college and, you know, none of my friends were eating like that. They were, they were really the product of the 70s and 80s with the, um, you know, frozen meals hungry man dinners yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fox, mac and cheese and all that i mean i wasn't but they were so i started cooking for them um you know and having dinner parties i i love that way of gathering people i did some of that in high school as well um so yeah it's just been kind of in my dna yeah god i love that see what a difference it makes when you're just being exposed that's really that's all, all that matters Abs absolutely you and know that's, that's traveled across the country and you know um yeah it's i always say that too like even when i you know teach or speak to younger people or you know on panels where i'm trying to get people to understand why you know there might not be um you know, people might not have certain knowledge about certain foods. It's because they haven't been exposed to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking to Chef Pierre Chime, Chime? Chom. Chom from, and he's from Senegal. And he was talking about, and, and it, it, I feel like it's sort of the same with you because your take is on soul food, modern soul food. And he was saying how important it was um, for the people in Senegal to see their food being elevated, yeah. you know, because you can associate a certain food. Like we can say French fruit. Oh, that's fancy. Right. No, all, all foods can be, you know, for an elevated palate and all of it is complicated. And, and it, it brings us the pride to the culture that you're coming from when you show them that their, their food is elevated as well. Yeah. And also there's very casual French food too, you know, and mm -hmm. Italian um, mm -hmm. it's just that, you know, it's just been elevated kind of here because that's mostly what was brought here. Um, you know, and the restaurants in particular, 
you know, in the beginning when they got here were all, you know, their, their techniques were a lot more sophisticated than what most American cuisines were, um, were at that time. But then, you know, that's one of the reasons why I went to France. I wanted to bring that elevated technique to our cuisine. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and having worked in kitchens in all these different states, all up and down the East Coast, on the West Coast, you, you were trained in France. Can you tell us a little bit about how the kitchens in different states and even different countries function differently? Or, or is there just one common language, just the, the language in the kitchen that, that you've noticed? Or is it a little bit of both? It's definitely a little bit of both. The language in the kitchen, I think, is you know, I mean, it should be <laughs> one of, there's a, there's a certain hierarchy of respect, you know, but it doesn't always happen. Um, I found like it was definitely more, um, you know, there's a lot more discipline in French kitchens and, you know, and especially in the States in the past 20 years, I've seen kitchens become a lot more casual or, you know, the average person who can fry an egg thinks I can be a chef, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. You know, people are opening things that maybe they shouldn't be opening, you know, opening restaurants or, or food trucks or whatever, and they really shouldn't be opening. Um, and the media, of course, has contributed to that, particularly the food, you know, media with right. shows and everything. Um, Celebrity and, chef culture, yeah. Yeah, and it's good and bad. It's good that there's more exposure to what we do, but at the same time, I think there's a false sense of, like, you know, what it takes to really run a restaurant, sustain it, and, um, you know, cr create everything that we do. Um, but, yeah, in France, I found, you know, it was a little bit more about, like, your work. And here in the United States, it got, it got more political because, um, you know, we're still, not that there aren't gender issues and racial issues in France, but here, um, clearly, you know, I mean, this is where, you know, I spent most of my career and there was definitely uh, divisions and inequities because of, you know, gender or race, for sure. Hmm. So if, if we could uh, jump ahead just a little bit. So I wanted to ask you, how did Oakland capture your heart and how has it maintained your love for the town? Because you've been you've been here for a while now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I. I kind of came to California in a fluke. I didn't know how long I would stay. I didn't think mm. I'd stay this long. Um, and I moved to San Francisco and I really wasn't feeling it. And I lived in Alameda for a year and that was just a little too isolated for me. Mm -hmm. And I kept driving through Oakland and seeing like this, you know, great bones of real estate. It was very desolate at the time. I guess, you know, mm -hmm. it had recovered from the fires um and i think the earthquake and yeah. it uh but i just saw like it had so much potential it seemed like there was an underserved market and having lived in new york when brooklyn became to you know started thriving i just saw this potential i was like oh wait this is going to be like the next brooklyn and um i love the diversity of the people i love the sense of community the history that's here so rich with you know the porters that settled in west oakland and and started the middle class neighborhood of west oakland and mm -hmm. uh, as well as you know the other different pockets of neighborhoods that um ref represented different ethnic groups uh chinatown you know the little um sort of vietnam farther east fruit fails being you yeah. know, latino and mm -hmm. um 
I just saw like, I, I don't know, I loved it how everybody was getting along. You could walk around the lake and it was just like, you know, amazing to me. You I see everything, all the colors, all the shapes, all, all the... <laughs> all ages, you know, yeah. and all, um, you know, gender persuasions and just seemed like it, there was a lot of harmony. And I love the weather, <laughs> right. um, of course. And um, yeah, I just, I, it's, and Oakland has really embraced me. And so, you know, it's the first place I've lived where I felt like, uh, my work was really appreciated. I could make a difference. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I actually, you know, fell in love with Oakland Museum pretty early on as well, because I studied some art history in college as well. And I thought I was going to go into that field for a while. I spent a lot of time in museums in DC and New York. Um, so it was nice to have that accessible. I'm really, a, you know, a lover of the arts and culture and the music scene. It's great yeah. here. And um so it just spoke to all my interest. So basically everything about Oakland. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There's, I mean, well, what's not to like? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure it didn't hurt that on June 5th, 2012, yeah. you were, it is dedicated Tanya Holland Day for your significant role in creating community and establishing Oakland as a culinary center. The Warriors honored you with a town jersey. I mean, I just, I, I really love you know, that give and, give and take that you have for Oakland. And, and I think that oftentimes, especially in big cities, you know, we fear gentrification. We're like, we don't want people to move here. But yeah. I, think your, I think yours is such a beautiful example of how right. it's not about people not moving here. It's about people moving here and, and seeing the beauty and what there is and elevating that and adding yeah. to it, not wanting to change it, you know? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And, and just supporting what's already here, you know? Right. And trying to bulldoze it down or water it down because there's so much wonderful stuff that's already here. Mm -hmm. It's funny, like of all the other cities in the Bay, it's like there's so much Oakland pride. It's just the most mm -hmm. prideful yeah. city, really. And mm -hmm. that's contagious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was just going to ask. I, I grew up right next to Oakland in San Leandro. And there's always, you know, been a sense from outside of the area that Oakland is this really dangerous, terrible place. I mean, even now there is with the yeah. current, you know, current administration. Yeah. But um, were you surprised when you found Oakland and were like, oh, no, this is really cool. And there's a lake in the middle of the city and like, the I don't nature, know what anyone's talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I defended it in the beginning, too. I was like, no, it's, you know, I mean... Again, I lived in New York City in the 80s, and, um, oh, yeah. you know, you didn't have to go really look for trouble. There was a lot of stuff going around. Here, you kind of, you'd have to go look for it or go in certain pockets. I mean, yeah, there's some petty crimes, you know, uh, car right. break-ins were really bad for a while, but that's just kind of, that's a reflection of the economy. It's a reflection of, you know, the right. government. It's not really the core of the people that are here. Um, right. And yeah, I just, you know, and those things, it takes time also, I think, for the sort of transition to happen and also the leadership at the top, you know, to have um, good um, local leadership that is advocating for uh, residents and, you know, residents feeling supported and getting the kind of amenities and uh, maintenance that we need, like roads and things like that. It's just, you know. It all takes time, but mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. so much good stuff here. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. And I did want to get into the, the climate in Oakland right now and, and what's been happening. And I, I read an interview and you were talking about, uh, you know, obviously you're very busy with your work and, and your restaurant and, and restaurants. And um, you said you were in the interview, you said you were walking out uh, holding some groceries and you saw, you know, some white protesters walking past you, with, you know, with Black Lives Matter signs. And it was just an interesting dichotomy for you in that moment. And, and, and you said that, you know, I haven't been to the protest, but my whole life has been a protest. So can you, can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be in that moment and realize what was going on and, and how this is, isn't just a moment for you, it's been your whole life? Yeah, you know, and I kind of quoted uh, Viola Davis on that because she used that, uh, you know, in the uh, Vanity Fair article. And I really relate it because, you know, I've been integrating uh, communities and schools and workplaces my entire life. I've been like the only one in so many situations and have had to, you know, kind of, um, you know, justify my my place in being there or work harder because of um, preconceived ideas people had about me um, but that moment you know and the, the this movement and movement in general makes me feel more hopeful and I think a lot of other African Americans have said that now everyone is getting involved and also to see the younger people you know younger generation really mm -hmm. to understand like this is not acceptable and um so, yeah, it was just interesting, you know, because I'm sure, you know, you know, I remember like last year where there was a women's march and, you know, someone on my staff was like questioning why I wasn't there. And I'm like, I like, it's what I do all day long. You know, I, I advocate for women and in our industry and I don't have time to march. I just don't. I have to run a business um, and, you know, I have to have my own like balance but I'm you know I'm here to support but um you know I'm so glad that there are people doing that for sure and I, I also you know grew up in during the first civil rights movement well I was you know born towards the end towards the tail end of it but my parents were you know I knew what their stories were like and you know what they faced still uh during those times shortly after and so um yeah, just, you know, it's, it's always been a part of, of my experience in this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I read your recent East Bay Express um, interview, which, which was great. And I liked at the end, um, you said something to the effect of President Harris can appoint you as an ambassador in, the, in like four years, four yeah. years down the road. And yeah. that really <laughs> gives me hope that you're hopeful. Um, Mm -hmm. How are you doing during now? We're in election season, right? So how, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. You know, and I went to her rally last year and yeah. it was so inspiring. Um, and I mean, I'm really happy that she's on the ticket. I think if we can get these two in office, hopefully we can undo a lot of, you know, damage that's been done and, and move forward. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming she'll become president. I, I really hope so. And um, mm -hmm. and I can get my appointment. <laughs> to yeah, we're ready for it. Yeah. That really is your next step, Tanya. Let's be honest. You got Aww, the open jersey. You. you have the day named after you. That's the next step. I Logical. feel like it, you know, and I didn't, I don't, you know, I thought at one point, like what I want to be, you know, mayor of Oakland. Um, but I'm not really like that into the, you know, the political part. It's more about, and I need to be more expansive. I need to be more out in the world. And I thought, um, 
you know, I mean, it was something I've been thinking about since college. I'd love to be an ambassador. And I heard you could either work for the State Department and work your way up, or you could know a president who could appoint you. <laughs> but then that you have to be a big donor to that president's um, campaign. And uh, of course, the appointment in France is, uh, you have to be a big, big, big donor. So we'll see what we can do. But I feel like, you know, things are being, sh- uh, you know, shaken up now. So maybe... Maybe it's going to be more about qualifications. I speak the language. I know the culture. Um, I can negotiate. I can um, break, uh, you know, um, build bridges. So maybe that'll have more um, weight (laughs) than uh, the financial contribution uh, that used to be expected. Yeah, and that's that Oakland pride. I mean, President Harris has to see what you've done for Oakland, and I think she owes it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell her that yeah. next time you talk to her. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We'll just, we'll drop a line. I'll shoot a text. Yeah. But I was going to say you could pay her in food. So <laughs> yeah, that's oh, a donation. That's well, that's, that's what I was going to say about an election too. If you're running for ev- anything, just give them some of that soul food. And I mean, that's all you need. You don't need a debate. You don't need anything. <laughs> okay. Can I, can I ask a, a last question if that's cool yeah. with you? Um, I really respect and admire the confidence that you have and that you lead with. And, you know, Ange and I here are of a certain age and we're, we're finding it, you know, thirties, forties. Um, and you start feeling a little like just, you know, feeling good in your own skin. Can you, can you pinpoint or think about a time when you started feeling that way as well? Because I feel you really project that. Um, what day is it? Yeah, like a couple months ago, I think. It was. <laughs> During the pandemic? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, like, yeah, it takes a while. I don't, I mean, for me, it took a while. Um, and I, it's, it's interesting. I mean, really, it, you know, I'm in my, I'm exactly at mid 50, 55. And when I turned 50, that was pretty significant. You know, I don't want to discourage you uh, for sure. Um, But that's when I was just like, you know, I know who I am, you know, I know exactly who I am. And not that I can't grow and learn. But um, it's more of like you, you are able to stand in your your feet more. And then it's been an evolution. These past five years have been a a big period of growth for me. Mm. Um, And just really, yeah, owning my power because Mm. I never really felt empowered, you know, all these years, like owning my own business because it was such a struggle for me. And I still wasn't where I felt like, you know, I wanted to be or where I could be if there weren't limitations placed on me. Um, by others, not by myself. And Mm -hmm. so I, um, you know, but then other people saw, especially people who worked for me, saw my words as powerful. I thought I, and, and I wasn't, I wasn't owning it. So I didn't realize like, oh, I have, I, I am able to, you know, affect change and, and impact and make a difference. Um, Even though I was, I, you know what I mean? I just wasn't really aware of the significance of it. So now I am more so, and also, I mean, it doesn't hurt that the James Beard Foundation asked me to be on the board of trustees. You know, that's like, I've got these affirmations, you know, or, you know, like you said, the city of Oakland recognized me and, um, you know, I'm asked to be a speaker, you know, at Stanford at their inaugural food um, 
conference and other places, you know, so it's sort of like, you know, those, yeah, those affirmations definitely have helped me. Um, I still have a lot more that I want to do, but I'm, I'm feeling, and a lot more, uh, you know, there's, I mean, I'm just like always looking forward. I don't really rest on my laurels or, you know, or rest mm -hmm. on the accomplishments. Um, but, you know, it's a journey, as I say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you've embraced it. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah. inspire us. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Where's, so from, where's my tiara? Where's my tiara? <laughs> now from I'm two, a queen. From, I'm a two queen. One, to, from two <laughs> podcasters to another. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anywhere or anything you want to plug right now? Or anywhere, anything that anyone can find you at? Uh, well, definitely the podcast, um, for sure. And then... If you guys haven't watched Selena Plus Chef, that was a fun little episode I did with Selena Gomez. Um, mm. And then can't wait to get into town fair at mm -hmm. the museum. And, mm -hmm. and that's going to be really fun because yeah. I will be cooking in the other, other genres. We're going to cook all kinds of food. Um, so I can't wait for that. And it'll yeah. all be delicious. Yeah. <laughs> we know. <laughs> that's always the goal. Delicious. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yes, for thanks for about. having me. Yeah, it's great mm -hmm. to talk to you. So thank you so much to Tanya Holland, uh, chef, author, restaurateur, pride of Oakland. Uh, it was an honor talking with you. Yeah, so don't forget to catch Tanya uh, on the New York Times, How to Cook Thanksgiving During a Pandemic, live at home Tuesday, November 10th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, don't forget to find Tanya on the OWN Network on November 14th at 1.30 p.m. I mean, she's doing all the things. So thank you so much, Tanya, for being on the show. And we hope to welcome you back sometime soon. And thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. 